The first reading can be followed on page 174 in the New Testament section of the Pew Bibles. I'm reading from Romans 15, verses 7 to 13. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God, in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will confess you among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse shall come, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The second reading can be found on page 118 and is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 16 to 24. Sorrow will turn into joy. Jesus was speaking. A little while and you will no longer see me, and again a little while and you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying to us, A little while, and you will no longer see me, and again a little while, and you will see me, and because I am going to the Father? They said, What does he mean by this, a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, So he said to them, Are you discussing among yourselves what I meant when I said, A little while, and you will no longer see me, and again, a little while, and you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought a human being into the world. So, you have pain now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. On that day, you will ask nothing of me. Very truly, I tell you, if you ask anything of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Good morning. Let's pray before we start thinking about joy. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we think about joy now, that by your Holy Spirit you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you would inspire us. We pray that we would have open hearts, open ears, open minds to receive what it is you want to say to us this morning, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this morning we're continuing with the fruit of the Spirit, and if you were in church last week, then you'll know that um, Brian got everyone to say what the fruit of the Spirit is, and to see whether or not they could do them all together, and um, he did it with all three services, and I keep meaning to ask him which congregation knew them the best. So go on then. (laughs) Convince me. I wasn't here when you did it at 10 o'clock, so what are the fruit of the Spirit? There's nine. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, good, generosity, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness, faithfulness. Do we have to know them off by heart? Do you think you need to know them off by heart? Well, I don't think we do. Ian thinks we do. I don't think we do. I don't think we have to know them off by heart, but I think it's helpful if we do. I think it's helpful if we do, because if we do, then we can focus on whether or not we're actually growing them in our lives. And if we don't know what they are, then we don't know what we're supposed to be growing. It'd be like planting seeds, wouldn't it? And not having a clue what was going to come up. So today we're thinking about joy. And my family laughed when I told them I was talking about joy this morning. (laughs) Because it's not been the best week in our house, you know. Thursday was the main day that I was preparing to speak to you. And Thursday was not a particularly good day at all. It started off with me sleeping over and missing the alarm. Um, And by the time I came downstairs, there was no milk left in the house, which didn't add to my joy. Um, I had a lot of desk work to do. I had emails to answer and some phone calls to make that I didn't want to make. And I needed to look ahead to yesterday. Yesterday, I knew I had a training day in Canterbury. And I knew I had to go, but I hadn't looked at what I had to do. And it turned out that I was due to give a 15-minute presentation on my research project Not only have I not started the research project, I hadn't even decided what I was going to research. So there was a lot of work to do on Thursday. And by 10 o'clock, probably because of the black coffee, I had a headache and I was feeling fed up. Not a good place to start thinking about joy. Or is it? Is it best to think about joy when you actually feel as though you haven't got any at all? And so therefore, you need to know what it is why you should have it, and where you're going to get it from. And those are the three questions we're going to look at together this morning. So what is joy? How would you define it if you were asked about it? Is it the same as being happy and cheerful and feeling that all is good in your world? I was hoping when I asked myself this question to find out that joy is different to happiness To find out that joy is something deep and profound, something that we can claim to have even when we're feeling grumpy. So I was hoping to be able to tell you that it's okay to be a bit miserable from time to time, but apparently it isn't. Because I got out the commentaries and the Bible dictionaries and the concordances and found that the word that is used for joy in the New Testament really does indicate gladness or happiness. And so then I was feeling, of course, even more fed up because now I'm feeling guilty as well as feeling fed up. And then I began to realise that what I was doing on Thursday was concentrating on my feelings. 
are the fruits of the Spirit feelings? I was feeling grumpy. I was not feeling joyful. I was feeling fed up. Is the fruit of the Spirit then a feeling? Well, I don't think it is, because if it was, I don't think Paul would describe it as being a fruit. Fruit is tangible. Fruit is something that we can touch. And I think, again, if you look in Galatians, where Paul is talking about the fruit, what he's talking about is something that will help us to counter the desires of the flesh, something that will help us to stay away from the sinful things that take us away from God, something that will instead lead us towards God. So the fruit of the Spirit is something to enable us to become Christ-like. So joy and the other parts of the fruit that Paul describes are not just feelings, but they are things that will grow out of us naturally through the dwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, which will change the way that we respond and behave when we are faced with temptation. The fruit, then, is a driver of our behaviour. It drives us towards good and away from sin. Whatever drives us, naturally, is going to affect our behaviour, isn't it? If you've done any counselling or listening work, then you know that there's a link between our thoughts and our feelings and our actions or our behaviour. Because thoughts create feelings and feelings will lead us to react in a certain way. So for me, on Thursday, my thoughts were all about the difficult things that I was having to do. Those thoughts created feelings of being grumpy. Those grumpy feelings resulted in me being snappy and bad-tempered. We can only change our behaviour when we change what's driving that behaviour. And if we're filled with the Spirit, then it's his fruit that is our driver. I went wrong on Thursday morning because I was not allowing my behaviour to be driven by the Holy Spirit. I was not responding to my thoughts and feelings in a godly way. The Apostle Paul struggled with this too. He writes in Romans, doesn't he? I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Living the Christian life brings us into almost constant conflict with sin and temptation. The fruit of the Spirit is there to drive us in the opposite direction. So, if I had been getting it right on Thursday morning, if I had been more aware of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life, it might have ended up more like this. My thoughts would still have been of the difficult things that were around me. But that might have led to a feeling of needing God's help. That might have led to a reminder of never being left alone to deal with the problems that we have. That might lead to the behaviour of prayer and of reliance on God and joy in his presence in my life. And that prayer would have led, I believe, to renewed energy to tackle the things that needed doing. So joy is a driver. It's something that will drive us towards godliness. But why should we be joyful then? Why is this something that we are even striving to have or to be? Well, I think it's because God himself is joyful. All the parts of the fruit of the Spirit are actually reflections of God's own character. They flow from him. They flow from his character as extensions of himself. And we know this because the Bible is full of examples of God being joyful. There's joy when God creates the world and looks at it. We read in Nehemiah and in the Psalms about the joy of the Lord being our strength. 
We say that phrase a lot, but it actually means that we are saying we believe the Lord is joyful and that his joy will give us strength. Jesus, um, God takes joy and pleasure in David as his anointed one. Isaiah talks about the joy God will have in the Messiah. And there's great joy in the good news that is delivered to Mary when she hears that she will have a baby. We hear God's joy in the Song of the Angels on Christmas night. But perhaps most of all we see God's joy at Jesus' baptism when the heavens open up and it's almost as though God is smiling down on his son. God is a joyful God. And his people reflect that joy. If we look in the Bible, we see the characters, David, Nehemiah, Hannah, Elizabeth, Mary, they all express their joy in God. But perhaps the greatest story of joy of all is that of the resurrection morning, as the women see their risen Lord, and later on as the disciples realise that Jesus is alive. Their joy is complete. So God's work in human lives will bring joy. We see it ourselves. We recognise it in the love that we share with our family and friends or in the beauty of the world around us or when a door opens unexpectedly or a prayer is answered that we didn't really think was going to be answered. But that's not enough. For those of us that love Jesus, the joy should be there every single day, not just when we're especially aware of God's blessings. Every day we should be joyful as we remember that we are his and he is ours. As we remember his death and resurrection. As we remember that through the cross our sins can be forgiven. The resurrection wasn't a one-off joyous occasion. It was the beginning of a lifetime of joy. Jesus was the firstborn and through that resurrection the door was opened for all of us to have an eternal hope. Hope of life forever with God. That's why we are joyful, because we have that hope within us. Every day we can remember that we are saved and have eternity to look forward to with God. So we've talked a little bit about what joy is and we've thought about how it might look in God and other people. We've said it's linked to our eternal hope, but how do we get it? How are we to be joyful on good days and bad days and you know from what I've already said to you that I haven't got this fully worked out in my own life yet so I speak as one of you but I have a number of thoughts to share with you on it first of all we have to remember it's part of a fruit of the spirit and fruit grows it doesn't happen overnight it takes time it needs to develop and ripen fruit can't be rushed or forced and it comes from the spirit so it makes sense that we have to have the spirit living within us for it to grow Every day we need to ask God for his Holy Spirit. Two weeks ago we received that prayer, didn't we, about praying each day for the Holy Spirit to be in our lives. We need to nurture that and fertilise it. We need to be conscious of it. That's why it's helpful if we do know the fruits of the Spirit. We have to look after it through our time with God, through our fellowship with one another. And I think as well when we talk about how we grow joy, We can remember that it's linked to the other parts of the fruit. And I think joy particularly comes where there is love and peace growing. Finally then, what do we do when we're struggling to find the joy? Maybe just having a bad day like I was. And I've already said in that case we just need to refocus on Jesus. And sometimes we need a friend to tell us that we need to stop being grumpy and refocus on Jesus and remember what's important. 
But sometimes we have a deeper sadness in our life, don't we, that seems to have sucked the joy out of us. It might be something that's gone wrong in our life. It might be something that we're just so worried about that we can't stop thinking about it. Well, I think that when that is the case, when we have lost our joy in that way, then we have to go back to the cross. And we have to take back to the cross with us our sadness and our anger and our frustration. And we have to leave them there before the brokenness of Jesus. We have to trust that the cross will hold them for us. We have to trust that God will reveal to us once more the joy of our salvation. And maybe whilst we're there at the foot of the cross holding our anger or our hurt or our sadness, maybe then, in that place, we meet the risen Jesus coming towards us, offering us again that eternal hope of heaven, offering that life in all its fullness and enabling us to find joy in the midst of our sadness. Our sadness doesn't always go away. Our pain doesn't disappear overnight. But I think joy can sit alongside it. And gradually, if we nurture it with hope and peace and love, then I think that joy will increase in us and flow out through us as a witness to other people. Maybe if we find that we are striving to be driven by joy, we will find that our pain is decreasing bit by bit. And of course, sometimes when we're struggling to find the joy, it's because we've forgotten to put our own spiritual armour on. There is a need for us to be prepared to take a stand against the one who would rather we didn't grow any fruit at all. And that means putting our spiritual armour on and standing firm on God's presence and his promises and his victory. Some of you know that every few weeks I go up to the prison to take the chapel services there. Behind the altar in the chapel in the prison, they've put four large pictures, and they were painted by the prison art department. There's a picture each for hope, peace, love, and joy. Love, as you might imagine, is pictured as a heart. Peace is pictured as a dove. Hope is this shimmering white light that is piercing through the gloomy sky. And joy. How do you paint joy? What would you paint if you had the opportunity to paint joy? Because we've said that it's a way of living that will drive good good behaviour, godliness. We've said that it needs to reflect God's character. We've said it's to do with being happy and having an eternal hope in Jesus. We've said it's linked to the other parts of the fruit. We've said that through joy we can find strength and even healing. So how do you paint a picture of that? Well, in the prison, the picture is of a sunflower. There's a sense of movement in the picture of this single sunflower. Almost looks as though it's dancing in the sunlight. It has an energy about it and a brightness about it. And from the sunflower head, there are seeds falling to the ground. You see, when the fruit of the Spirit is active in our lives, then seeds of the Spirit will spill out into the world around us. Joy is contagious. Joy can act as a witness to what God is doing in our life, the way that he is growing us. Joy can be planted 
in the lives of others as a result of our joy. It might seem odd to think of the prison chapel as being a place of great joy, but that's what I experienced there last Saturday, as I was reminded that joy is not dependent on our circumstances, it's not dependent on whereabouts we are, it's dependent on who God is, God, the joyful God, who wants to grow his joy in each one of us and fill us with his spirit and offer us this hope of eternity. The grumpy days won't go away, I don't expect overnight. But starting each day by asking the Holy Spirit to fill us and grow us, starting each day by reminding ourselves of what it is we are supposed to be growing and why, will help us to become a more joyful people. Can you imagine for a moment what the church would look like if we were all like that sunflower in the painting? If we were all dancing or moving in the light? If we were scattering seeds of joy around us, can you imagine how that would change us? Can you imagine how it would change this church or this parish? Can you imagine how attractive that would be to other people as they saw God's joy spilling out through our lives? Let's pray now that we might grow and share some of God's finest fruits in our lives through his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that your Holy Spirit wants to plant in us and grow in us those parts of your character which will help us to stop leading sinful lives but instead grow Christ-likeness within us. We pray that you might fill us with your Holy Spirit and that we might especially be filled with the joy of the Lord which is our salvation and our strength. Amen. Amen.